this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. Luke Bug, but like uh, Superman has his alias, I also go by another name, and that is the uh, the Geek of Steel. I'm an online journalist. I'm just a fan of many, many things, but Superman is my, is my main fascination and obsession and my passion. I'm a podcast host. I make videos. I do interviews. I do videos. I'm just one of those faces that pops up on social media every now and again with some more exciting news. There's many of us out there and um, I've enjoyed my little journey to where I am today. My, well, I've, I've changed the account name. I've been on, on Instagram, that's been my main platform for over 10 years now. And my my name's Luke Bug, Luke Spencer Bug, and my Instagram name was LSBug. Now, Instagram is all lowercase. So the L got mistaken for an I quite a few times. So I'd often thought about changing it over the years. Um, But Instagram for me, when I first joined, I didn't know, because I'm so technologically savvy, that people could look at my photographs. (laughs) I thought it was just a private photo platform. And I used it to document my collection, so I didn't get the same thing twice and started using hashtags and then was like oh okay hashtags work on this app as well and people started finding my photographs and then I started finding like-minded like-minded followers all around the world and then it took off and then snowballed and then I think it was 2018 when I started having some opportunities come my way and I, I found adventures in blogging that we will get to later on I became the geek of steel after sort of thinking up some different names of what my brand could be. I had no idea I was creating a brand at the time, but um, the geek of steel came to mind in a sort of eureka moment, combining my love for all things geeky and also the man of steel. So they're all sort of combined there together. And um, yeah, Instagram was was, was the main platform for me because it was easier back then. It was just photographs, square photographs. If you made a typo, you couldn't go back and change it. There was no Instagram Live. There was no IGTV. There were no Reels. There wasn't as much rules as there are today. But I feel that all the changes that have come along the way with Instagram have helped me evolve, as it were, as a creator. I'm learning new things. I'm I'm learning how to reach a bigger audience and to try new things and step out of comfort zones but yeah instagram was was the first one for me and then in that 2018 when i became the geek of steel i thought if i'm going to go for it i'm going to go for it in a bigger way so let's get a website so the geek of steel came about and the geek of steel official email account and i started reaching out to, to new people and new companies and taking bigger steps and getting lots of no's in reply. <laughs> and 
going from there. And it's been a fantastic journey. I've met some fantastic people. I've met some great connections. I, I've learned about myself. I, I've learned about what I want to be like, and more importantly, how I don't want to be perceived online, because the online community can be good and can be bad. And I'm sure we're going to talk about on the podcast. Um, I've, I've been listening to some of the episodes, and um, it was Darren you had on recently, the Yorkshire Bat fan, who is um, is a great guy, absolute joy to speak with. We've been um, online pals for quite a while now. We've not met up in real life, as it were, but I know that day will come. But it's meeting people that just want to share their passions online, not for, you know, reward or for fame, because I don't see that as what I'm doing the reason for. I'm doing it because I like sharing my passions. I like talking about what makes me happy. When you sit down with someone and you ask them, you know, what, what's your hobbies? What do you like to do? It's when they get more emotive and more animated when you find out what people like. And that's what I've enjoyed doing immensely by being this online character, as it were, was finding out what makes people happy and in return, finding out what brings me happiness. Because I'm all about happiness and, and positivity online because it's a lot easier than being grumpy. Um, it's it's nicer to be remembered for being a nice person. It's something that I've always never wanted to change about me when it comes to if I'm talking to somebody on the street that wants to talk about Superman or if I'm talking to a celebrity, somebody that makes me nervous, somebody that I get excited even thinking about talking to. If I come away from that situation and I'm remembered for being liked, or just remembered for being pleasant, I, I've done my job. Um, I'll, I'm going to murder this quote completely. But one of my um, favourite films is Harvey, about an invisible six-foot rabbit. And um, one of the lines in that is, um, along the lines of, I've spent many a year being pleasant and nice, and um, I prefer being nice. You know, people sometimes go through their life trying to find their personality, whether it be somebody that's a confident, you know, one of these um, alpha males, as it were. That's a phrase that I've learned about recently. And I don't sometimes really show off confidence. I, I mean, I, I can sometimes know when the geek of steel takes over in a way. That is my persona when it comes to talking with celebrities or, or, or going on a red carpet and, and speaking with someone. Uh, the Geek of Steel sometimes does take over. And I'm, I'm thankful for those situations when I can kind of switch off and my preparation takes over. One of my big things is preparation. I, I love taking notes. Um, I'm quite good. You know, there's always that Instagram fake moment when everything seems perfect on on social media there's no there's no behind the scenes you get a perfect you get a different version of what it could be like but around me right now are, are post-it notes around me are journals and notebooks more than can meet the eye uh, because i like to be prepared and i like to have a backup plan i like to have plan a b c d all the way through to s for superman but Preparation for me has always been key. And combine that preparation with 
me blending into the geek of steel, knowing when to switch it on and, and switch it off. I mean, he's always there, the geek of steel, because he's a part of me. The two have intertwined. It's this sort of venom and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation that's going on. But I, I think one of my one of my very most nervous moments was um, the uh, second time I went to Metropolis in America for the Superman celebration. And about a week before I went out there, I was asked to host my first ever panel. And I, I said yes, first of all. Geek of Steel took over and said yes, because he has taught me, I'm speaking in third person now, it's so cheesy, but he took over and said yes, because that's how I've learned to push myself out of comfort zones. And I've learned by doing that, I, I've found myself in situations that I never thought I would be in before, like speaking with Zachary Levi, like interviewing Kevin Smith, you know, like the king of the geeks. Uh, I never would have thought in a million years that I would have that situation fall into my lap but through hard work and dedication and building relationships and relying on the geek of steel to flick a switch in my over active brain <laughs> those situations can happen and yeah that panel i was um it, i was hosting in front of all these superman fans from around the world and i got to interview helen slater supergirl and erica durantz Lois Lane from Smallville, who I have had a crush on for many years. And it was an exciting day, a moment that I will never forget. And I planned for that moment for days and days and days. I had questions. I had questions that I changed and questions that I threw away at the last minute and replaced them. But it was a fantastic moment for me. And now looking back at it, um, it's shown that I can do something like that. And that I had immense amounts of joy, enjoyment out of doing it. It wasn't sort of like a, a confidence thing, like, yeah, I did that. I, I did that well sort of thing. It was the fact that I was able to get up on stage uh, and host a panel for the first time. And I've not really been good with public speaking in front of faces. Like, put me in front of a podcast like this where I'm talking to you, Paul. It's, it's great. We're having a chat. We're talking about our passions again. But when you are facing real life faces, real people in the real world, as it were, nerves can take over. And that is why, as I said, Geek of Steel took over. And it, it wasn't easier because I feel that if you start to feel as if something is easy, that's when mistakes can get made. That's when you can slip up and trip up uh, and it can all go terribly wrong. So I think being nervous with a hint of optimism is always going to be better than going in with too much confidence and not enough notes. Always go in with notes. That's what I'd say. Yeah. I really enjoyed that because you put it up on your show afterwards. Yeah. It was a really good listen. I did. Yes. YouTube.com forward slash the geek of steel. That's a plug. I'm getting better at that. It's always difficult. Um, you know, saying to people, oh, go the old like, smash that like button, subscribe, do all the things. Um, and I can understand why we have to do it as content creators. I mean, anybody can be a content creator. Anybody that's got a, a Facebook, Twitter, or an Instagram, anything, you are creating your content. 
And, and so um, I feel that if you are proud of, of what you are putting out there, whether it be a podcast, whether it be an article, whether it be you sharing a review, something that you've not done before, then do it. You know, dive in. As long as you're enjoying the work that you're doing, then crack on, you know. I mean, this isn't necessarily, you know, being a blogger, being, being a journalist. It's something that is not right now an option for a paid career. There have been some wonderful opportunities that I've had um, where I've been invited to places, invited to premieres and screening and, and spoken with, with people, but I've still got to pay the bills. So if I wasn't enjoying this, I wouldn't be doing it. It's as simple as that. I've always said that, you know, the day that I don't want to create something, I don't want to force myself to do that, I'm, I'm going to stop. Because what's the point if you're not having fun whilst doing something for free? You know, <laughs> and I mean, yes, there, there have been situations in the past when I've, I've wanted to have a few days away from social media. I recommend it. It's great. Sometimes I've wanted to have these, you know, vacations away from the internet, as it were, where you can just sit back and, and regroup. And normally when I do that, I get more creative and I want to do more things, I want to start, oh, I could maybe write an article about what I like or what I don't like about Superman. Or let's create a 10-minute video essay about all the different cryptos that have, that have been around in the Superman universe. But, yeah, I'm going to leave one day when I stop having fun on the internet, that's for sure. But happiness and getting enjoyment out of these things is, is always what I've been about. You know, I said it's not a paid gig. So when I'm not at work, I'm planning future podcasts or I'm planning videos or I'm planning adventures, as I call it. Um, I don't remember when I first started calling my, my trips to sort of premieres or exhibitions adventures, but that's how I see it. It's, it's, a, it's an exciting trip. Even just getting on a train and going to London for a, for a Comic-Con or for a screening of a movie, it, it's very exciting. So it's the perfect way to call it an adventure. I mean, I've been doing this, as I say, for a few years now, and I've had some truly fantastic moments that I never thought would happen. As I said, I was, I, I've been to see films before they've been released, and I've had to sign many, many contracts saying that I will not talk about what I've seen. And that is both a gift and a burden. When you've seen a film that you've been waiting for for a very long time and it's great and you loved it and you want to talk about it, it's so difficult. But there have been some situations where I've, I've gone to these said events and other bloggers have been there, uh, whether it be uh, Paul from DC World or Tasman, the aspiring Kryptonian. It's great because there's somebody else there that's, signed these contracts as well but you know that you can talk to them about it and we're not breaking any rules because it's just this little group of people that have been fortunate enough to, to watch something and you know we we know why we're there we're there to review the movie to help build hype for the movie and to be a marketing tool to help out and that's something that i've been very grateful to help build relationships with these companies, whether it be 
Warner Brothers or DC Comics or Funko Pop, these companies that I love and would happily buy their merchandise. You probably see behind me, there's a bookshelf full of comics and Funko Pops and Superman toys because I've always loved collecting. The blogging and the journalism side came afterwards, but in the roots of it all, it's always been about Superman and, you know, that, that geek aspect. But building up relationships with these companies has been both educational and exciting and it's been something that I'm proud that I've managed to do so it's again the same situation as before it's being remembered not only for being liked for being polite for being pleasant but being professional there's there's a there's a fine line between all of those categories and it's very easy to lose that trust and that moment of, you know, as again, being trusted with this company, being trusted with these titles, being trusted with Superman in a way. Sometimes I feel that if a certain situation comes around and I'm asked to promote a comic or a film or anything, um, if it's Superman related, I feel that Superman is the boss of that situation. <laughs> I don't want to upset Superman, clearly. I think one of the first times I was, uh, my comic reviews, it was one of the first sort of gigs I had, as it were. It was tweeted out by DC Comics. And obviously there's a bit of a timeline between us and LA. I think it's quite a few hours. And I was just going to sleep, as we all do, just checking the socials for the last time before putting the phone down to sleep. Then the phone buzzed. I was like, oh, what's this? So I've, oh, I've been mentioned on Twitter. Who's mentioning me on Twitter? And it was my DC Comics review. I was like, oh my goodness. I can't sleep now for the rest of the night. What's going on? It was levels of excitement and anxiety. What are people going to think of my review? Are they going to you know, take my words as for what they are? When it, you are reviewing a comic or a film or a TV show or a toy, you are not going to appeal to everybody. Um, there's going to be somebody that doesn't agree with your opinion. And that's completely fine. Um, I, I learned very early on that you can't please everybody, both in the real life and especially online, because I think people online sometimes can be more vocal than those in real life. And I, I've had those situations, sadly, where I have had to deal with, ooh, again, we don't really use the word trolls because it's a negative, negative phrase. That's something um, when I got to speak, it sounds like I'm name dropping now, but I promise you I'm not. It's, it's for the purpose of this conversation. When I got to speak with Zachary Levi, I was helping promote the Shazam movie. And I had, I think, about five minutes with him on the red carpet, face to face. And I was so nervous. Again, I had notes in my pockets. I had questions in my head that I knew I wanted to ask him. Um, I think at one point I had a, uh, even my confidence stopped me from doing this. Um, I love Tangled. And we were also, I was going to try and make him do a smolder off with me. I'm glad I didn't because that man both on screen and in real life, is incredibly handsome, incredibly tall, looks like a superhero on and off the screen. 
Um, but we talked about the movie. I, I, again, I was very thankful. I was very gracious. I was polite. And then a question that I didn't have written down, I didn't have planned. I wanted to ask him how he dealt with internet trolls. And I said the word trolls. And he didn't correct me as such, but he told me about the fact that even just by calling somebody a name like that online, it's name calling. It's, it's defeating the purpose. There are going to be bad people online and in real life, and there are ways of, of dealing with them. And that interaction, um, I'll, I'll send you the quote once we were, we've done recording, but it stayed with me. It was very, very inspiring to, to be in that moment. And when he was talking to me, um, I forgot the cameras were on. I, I forgot we were even talking about the movie. It was just talking with somebody that had wisdom uh, about the world and, and the people that he has experienced in his life. And came away from that. And it was a very, very educational day. And it made me realize that, yes, there, there are faceless people in the world, some of these keyboard warriors, as it were. And I've only had to really deal with it a few times because uh, it's, again, I'm online, it's free of charge. This is all these, these apps that I'm on, apart from my website, I don't pay for any of that. It's all free, you know, and it could go away tomorrow. So if somebody online is giving me grief, I would always have an open conversation with them, first of all. I would ask them why they think, first of all, if that behavior is acceptable, why are you talking to me in this tone? I don't know you. But it's always good to know that the block button online is there for a reason. And if you don't want any sort of interaction with some people, then you block them. You can mute them. There are ways now with social media that you can reach out for support. You can ask for help. You can say, this person is doing this or this person is doing that. What can I do? There have been situations before in the past where people have been attacked. People have been hunted online for believing in what they believe in and following their passions. And it, it does, it upsets me to say the least. I want my platforms to be as friendly and as welcoming as possible. I do not want people really using bad language in my comment sections. I don't want people attacking other people for having an opinion that's different to mine. That's, that's not what I'm online for. I'm there to, again, to have a good time and, and geek out about things. That's essentially what it's always been about. It's geeking out. We've all got something that we're passionate about. It could be knitting. It could be comics. It could be skiing. It could be collecting trading cards. We're passionate about something. Everybody geeks out. And as I said, I, I've got this quote because I knew I was going to get this quote wrong. This is a quote from the wonderful Simon Pegg, who has proven that, you know, being a geek can just do wonderful things. And here is that quote. Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. 
and I, I clearly couldn't put it any better because that's not my quote. But I will gladly use that and give Mr. Pegg credit for it because it's everything what the geek of steel stands for. It's geeking out. It's being excited. It's being happy in the moment. And this isn't a persona, as it were. I, um, my face sometimes gets a little bit too excited when it comes to things. Uh, I can't really switch off when I'm watching a film or a TV show. If something exciting is happening, I'm going to be excited. I think one of the um, memories that I have is that there, was, there were a few of us um, we went to a screening of the, uh, the death of Superman and the reign of the Superman. This was a pre-pandemic and we went to the Warner Brothers Cinema in London. And again, Paul from DC World was there, uh, Kibla, Ahmed Art, uh, Get Your Comic Con was there and a few others. And we were all huddled together watching this film for the first time. And um, there was a moment when, spoiler alert, Superman dies. The title kind of gives it away. But he comes back. And, and when he comes back, I was getting excited in a very big way. The Death of Superman is one of the comics that got me into Superman. And this moment, I mean, they, yes, they released it. They released a, um, a Death of Superman animation in the past. It wasn't all that good. But this, uh, this remake, I loved it for what it was. And the moment when we see Superman come back, and um, he's got the mullet. He's got everything. I was getting very excited and I was shaking about. I was, I think, trying to hold back the screams of enjoyment. And that was what I class as a geek out moment. It's, it's me. It's that moment of, of reacting. Um, I've been accused in the past of dramatizing it as such. If it was a reaction video for a trailer or a, or a review, or me just being elated about something, yes, I can understand how people can think, he's putting that on, it's all fake. I'm not that good of an actor, for one. Um, <laughs> and I just enjoy being happy about things. I like getting excited. Um, it doesn't take much. I, I, I mentioned before we started recording that sometimes I can get quite distracted by things. If I see something shiny, I'm going to go off and grab it, whether it be actually something shiny like a magpie or if I can hear something else going off. So when I'm watching a film, when I'm enjoying a TV show, I like to have subtitles on, captions. So that way I can focus on what people are saying and what they're doing and what goes on. And I can get myself more drawn in to that moment. And that's why I enjoy watching movies in the cinema when I can, because the phone's turned off. There's nothing else for me to focus on apart from the, the story that's being told to me by somebody else. And that is why, why I love reacting and reviewing movies and giving it my own personal touch because it, it's just a review. It's, it's my thoughts about a TV show or a movie. Uh, and if people want to read my reviews or people want to find out how I feel about something, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that one person that wants to read or listen to my review. And we're not always going to agree on the same things. And that's what I love about the internet is that there's so many people out there with different opinions. Some people like things done this way. Some people like things done that way. Some people like it when there's a merge, when there's a combination of things going on, when we can all sit back and, and watch a film or a TV show or read a comic or play a video game 
there's going to be some aspect in that that we like and take away from it. And when we can talk about that openly, we can talk about other things. That person may have noticed something that I didn't notice. And that way I would look for it again the next time around. And that way my reviews would be better. And, and I'm looking for something else to enjoy. I, as I said, I can't switch off that easily. So when I watch a film now, I am watching it for the direction. I'm watching it for the character development. I'm watching it for the soundtrack. I'm watching it for the Easter eggs because there's always an Easter egg now in the film. There's always something else to look out for. And again, I've, I've learned these ways by geeking out, by embracing my passions. And that's, again, something I, I love that the, the geek of steel has, has brought my way. And yes, it's, and again, if, if people are, are happy with what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing it. That's one of those other reasons as long as one, I'm enjoying it, and two, somebody else is enjoying it, I'm going to keep on doing it. So comics for me started off when, what are about eight or nine, and I started getting into the Beano, the classic world of Beano and Dandy, and uh, showing my age a little bit there, apart from the greys in my beard, uh, the Beano and the Dandy were two very, very British weekly comics that came out in the UK. And I love them, still love them. My uh, youngest niece of still uh, is a subscriber of the Beano. She gets it every, I think it's every fortnight now or weekly, but it's a comic that opened my eyes into literature. I, I wasn't the best of readers as a child. Looking back at that, it's probably, again, going back to that squirrel aspect, I couldn't focus for too long reading a book. I found it difficult. I felt, um, I can remember trying to read Lord of the Rings when I was about 12 or 13. And there's just pages upon pages of pages of, of beautiful descriptions, but it's just one tree being described for about five pages. And that is great because it gets you lost in the story. But for me... As a young adult, I found that difficult. So reading the Beano, reading the Dandy, it got me into collecting comics, specifically annuals. Um, they still produce their every annuals at Christmas, but I, I would get the Beano annual and the Dandy annual and comics like Whizzer. And that, you know, that became my collecting, that my passion. And I started going to car boot sales with the family on a Sunday afternoon. Would love a car boot sale. It's where I learned the, uh, the, the art of the haggle of, um, you know, if I could, if I saw a comic back in the day for 20p and I offered the man 10p, so you take 10p, sir? So yes. So that's, that's me. That's a win. I saved some money for another comic and I got a comic out of it. But yeah, reading the Beano and the Dandy and then that moving on, I can remember uh, being uh, in the school library at lunch, lunchtime and there was a graphic novel of, of The Hobbit. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, I've, I've, I know of this author because we've talked about it in, in English classes. It was a, I'm trying to find a copy of it. I'm still trying to find a copy, but it was quite a large book. So, and it was, um, I can remember just getting lost in that story of it. I'm thinking, okay, this, this is a different form of book for me. I can enjoy the context 
of what these characters are doing, but I've also got the visuals. And those were the comics that I got into. I was reading those ones. And then from that, I mean, I've always been a fan of comedy and, and TV shows and movies. And my dad used to read Viz. Now, completely at the time, not fit for children's eyes. But at about, you know, 14 or 15, you wanted to, to broaden your horizons, as it were, and learn more things about the world. So I started reading these, these books, these, these, these comics. And um, if, I'm sure people are out there that, are, that know what the Viz is all about. If you've not, um, search for it, but not on office time, because the results you're going to get back are very not safe for work. But it was an adult comic. It, it was cheesy characters. It was, you could see where the, the storylines were going. There were very, um, very interesting characters. But at the time, my levels of immaturity combined with my love for slapstick and toilet humour, the Viz comics gave me everything. Whether it be characters that had problems with flatulence whether there were characters that couldn't stop swearing. It was that step up from my love for the Beano comics into adult humour, sort of the comedy that went from sort of um, Mr Bean slapstick to, to the language that we used in programmes such as Bottom. Now, if, if you're a fan of Bottom in the UK, then you are, you're a friend in my eyes. But, yeah, reading The Viz... And the beaming at the same time, it was sort of that love of reading comics, starting at the top left and finishing at the bottom right, reading that comic back to front and loving it. And yeah, as we said, that was one of my first introductions to comics and, and expanding my literature by reading Viz, of all things. Uh, maybe one day I'll have to uh, do a deeper dive into that and maybe speak to some of the creators that have... Uh, have written for Viz over the years. I was um, at a Comic-Con, I think about two years though, two years ago, and there was an artist there that worked on the Beano. And we had a fantastic chat about him drawing Dennis the Menish and Nasser and Nipper and talking about some of the characters that aren't around in the Beano now. Obviously there have been uh, many changes in how comics are written and created. And there were some characters back in the day that, looking back now, were rather not very politically correct, to put it lightly. And um, I, I've shared my comics now with my nieces of steel, as I call them. Um, first of all, we've learned the importance of reading comics with clean fingers and not ripping comics apart. There was a, one very um, unfortunate day where my niece was wanting to read some of my Superman comics. And she was reading them on the bed. I was like, this is a fantastic time for a photograph. And she was just sat down reading a comic while comics were surrounded all around her. And um, she ripped a page of a, a very old comic. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't expensive, but it was a, a lesson for the two of us about handling comics with more respect. But, <laughs> yeah, going back and... and seeing him and, and talking about the Beano and seeing my niece in that moment asking him for a sketch of Dennis Menish and um, Nasha and Nipper. I was like, this is, this is me passing on my love for comics to, my, to a new generation, as it were. 
And the Beano has been around for decades. Um, I hope it's around for many more because I'm still enjoying reading the, the antics and the new characters. And sometimes characters are coming back into the comics, which is very exciting. There were a few um, very taboo characters back in the day, um, even characters such as they, they were characters that were sort of Native Americans, which in today's eyes would be incredibly insensitive to have in a comic. And the Beano and the Dandy have addressed this. You know, this is it's a different time back then and so on, all these things that are happening in the modern day. But going back, I'm very grateful that I did spend my money on the Beano each week. And I think one of the moments when I realised that I was becoming a more mature human being, maybe in years, not just uh, the psychological aspects of me, when I saw the comic was more than two pounds. And I can remember back in the day when the Beano was like 24p, and you would even get sometimes uh, a free gift with that, sellotapes to the front cover of the comic. That's how you get kids in comics. Offer them sweets <laughs> and a 24p comic. And yeah, I'm grateful for that because um, I really feel that if that wasn't the case, I, I wouldn't be who I am today. But yes, that was my introduction to it. But it was Smallville that got me into Superman and like, took over my life because I can remember just watching that pilot episode on channel four back in the day and i didn't know what it was i i recognized the storyline i recognized the characters and i was like oh fun this is like um at the time it was a big thing you know shows like dawson's creek and all these sort of young adult dramas slash soaps and sitcoms were about but this one was a bit more fun there were superheroes involved there were special effects they were all these young, attractive people on screen. And combine that with a little bit of Superman, I was like, oh, okay, I know of these characters. I don't know too much about them, but let's give this show a go. And, and I did, and I, I got hooked. Um, this was obviously, yes, the internet was around back then, but not in such a huge way when season one of Smallville came out way back in the day. I think it's it's... It's got a big anniversary this year. I think it's its 20th anniversary or something like that. It's something crazy. And I can I fell in love from season one. I can remember when the season ended, I was like, what now? I've got to wait for how long? Because obviously in the UK, we would get the TV show way after the, it aired in America. I mean, there are some situations now that when a TV show airs in America, the UK or anywhere else in the world will have it about eight hours later. But back then, with my love for Smallville, I'd have to wait for a long, long time. Um, avoid spoilers, avoid everything. And in that time when the show wasn't airing, I was like, well, what do I do now? I like these characters. I'm becoming attached to these characters. I want to know more. So I reached out to friends. And I was like, what Superman comics can I read? Let's, let's get into this. Let's dive deeper. Let's see if I like these characters even more in the past. Are these characters going to be a different representation of what I've fallen in love with? And I went back and I started reading as many comics as I could. And recommendations were normally, if you've not read it, read The Death of Superman. And I did over and over again. One of my largest graphic novels in my collection behind me and one that's been read the most. It's dog-eared. 
and it's been signed by some of the creators that have worked on that book because I didn't want them signing a new copy. I wanted them reading the copy that I have read countless times over the years. And I know exactly what happens when this page turns, but I still feel the same amount of anticipation and excitement. And I'm still engrossed in that storyline. And I think, I feel that if you were to go up to a, to a, an artist or a writer at a Comic-Con and thank them for their stories that they have slugged their guts over, they're much rather going to want to sign a, a dog-eared copy than a brand new copy that they might think that they're getting me to sign that so they can grade it and sell it on one of these books or these books that have been signed I would never sell on. And then when it comes around to me having to write a will, um, I'm either going to be, you know, those books are coming with me or they are being, you know, kept in an airtight container in a museum somewhere. They are never to be sold. Because if they do get sold, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm coming back as a very geeky ghost and I'm going to haunt the heck out of you and just throw Superman trivia at you until you've got those books back and put them somewhere safe. <laughs> Sounds reasonable. It does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm curious then, because you said you... Um... You watched the TV show, end of season one. Mm. You wanted more, so you went to your friends. Did you not... You were obviously surrounded by people then that did read comics of that kind. Obviously, you were reading Beano Dandy and possibly the stuff you shouldn't have. <laughs> yes. did, it, did you Did you never sort of jump into some of that stuff at the time then before Smallville, especially considering your friends were? Not really, no. I mean, I, I was always aware that comics were around, whether it be... DC Comics or Marvel Comics or in the UK, there was a lot of Judge Dredd. There was a lot of classic comic literature. And it really didn't happen until Smallville. I wasn't reading those types of comics. I knew of, of the comic world. Comic shops back then weren't, well, the geek business, as it were, wasn't anything like it is today. The world is such a more welcoming place right now that Yes, I did want to find friends that did enjoy Smallville and comics, but you couldn't just find them. You couldn't just, like now, you can reach out to, you can go on Twitter and say, give me your recommendations. What are you reading? What should I be reading? What comics don't I know about? And it was that, and it was back in the day, going online and, and, and reading about comics, going to the library and getting books out of the library and thinking, I don't really want to spend all this money on a book. Let me go and read this book, first of all, and see if I'm going to enjoy it. And that's why I, I love the aspect of libraries then and now. It's it's a wonderful place where you can go. And back then, it would also, they, I think they, were, they started renting DVDs. And this was like exciting for me. I said, oh, I can watch all these films and take them back in a week's time. But... I can remember going when it was Waterstones, the bookshop that opened up near me. And I was like, wow, this is a huge bookshop. There's going to be a lot of stuff here that I've not read and things that I want to read. And I can remember going to their graphic novel section, as it were, and just being like amazed. Every time that I had the option to, to buy a comic that I had not read before or not known about, I picked it up and I was like, okay. Maybe I don't need to buy a new pair of shoes this month. 
maybe I could go off and buy some graphic novels and, and enjoy them. And I did. And I will send you a picture. I mean, um, of, of my bookshelf behind me, there are, there's a graphic novel section that there's a, there's a DK books section because I love trivia about comics and characters. So I do like comic encyclopedias. And at the time, if I saw a graphic novel that I didn't have, I had to have it. That took precedence over everything, whether it be a Superman story or a Justice League story. If Superman was in that book, I had to have it. And I can remember uh, going traveling around Malaysia and Singapore um, at a fantastic time. Um, but then we went into some more commercial areas where there were bookshops. And I was like, okay. And the, the exchange rate at the time was too good not to bring books home. And I can remember bringing my suitcase home from these real life adventures. And I didn't bring back souvenirs. I didn't bring any souvenirs back from sort of the Singapore Zoo or the Malaysia Zoo, or all these fantastic historical places that I visited. I came back with Superman graphic novels. Because <laughs> at the time, there were so many books that I hadn't read. There were books like Superman versus Alien. There were all these different Elseworld stories about Superman. Yes, I, I love hearing his origin story being retold as many times as possible. But when you combine Superman with medieval times or Superman with an alien, or what if Superman was in fact Tarzan? All these crazy conceptual stories that if I read the back of that book in a bookshop or a comic shop, I was like, okay. I want to find out where this story ends. I'm buying that book. And it normally happens quite a lot. And, you know, it's, it, it's great now that we have these websites like Amazon and eBay, where we can go on there straight away and find the book that we're looking for. And we can find it for cheap and we can have it delivered the next day. There's still something about going into a bookshop and, and seeing an art, a title that, you've not found online before or you didn't know about it that you think, okay, let me just read that back page. And if, and if it wets my appetite, I'll buy it. Um, and yeah, I normally end up buying it. I've only had to put a few books back because I've realized that I've already owned that book. <laughs> I have bought duplicates in the past and I will probably do that again. And yeah, from buying the graphic novels and the encyclopedias, I wanted to get into, into comic collecting. Um, that is a moment that I both appreciate and also regret um, because uh, again, this is a very nice framed picture for those not looking at what I'm looking at right now. You can see my fortress of solitude as it were. There's very tidy bookshelves, there's a very tidy wall around me. There are boxes of comics and there are boxes of books and toys that are yet to be put on display because I'm running out of room. But I can remember buying dog-eared comics that have already been read before and finding secondhand bookshops. It was um, Dave's Comics in Brighton that I went to many, many years ago. And there, there was a fantastic section that had all these brand new graphic novels. I was like, okay. I've come here for that one, but 
let's also have a look at that one. And I might want to add that to my list. It's fine. I don't have to have lunch. I can spend my lunch money on some more books. It's fine. A meal is only going to last me an hour. This book, I can read it and I can read it again. That was my that was my thinking aspect. I was like, Luke, you're this is quite an investment, really, because you can you can't enjoy a meal twice. You can enjoy a book more than once. I was like, yes, that's perfect reasoning. That little good devil and bad devil on my shoulders was telling me which to do. And I can remember not buying single issue comics for the story, but for the artwork that was on the front. I, I love the, the crazy stuff from, from the 50s and the 60s. Um, I, I've got a few comics from the 40s that obviously just to look at. They're in, if I have to read those, the nieces get nowhere near those comics. And I've got a nice pair of white gloves to pick them up if needed. Um, I, I'm yet to get a comic book graded because I hate the idea of a comic being sealed and that you can't read it again or even just look at any of the pages because if I've got an old comic in front of me, um, I can get lost in that moment. Again, going back and mentioning in that squirrel aspect, once again, I can read a, a graphic novel and still get distracted by a phone. I can watch a film and still get distracted by a noise outside. When I'm sat down with a single issue comic that's only got a few dozen pages in it, I will study every single page. And I love going back and, and reading the old adverts and reading the letters that comic book fans at the time would write to the editor or the writer. And they're still relevant to what our thoughts are now. You could be reading a comic, you know, that is, is very hard to believe because it's a, it's a bizarre scenario. But a fan would write a letter to the to the to the artist or the editor and get a response, and that's what I I, I love that aspect about comic cons because yeah, you think somebody else out there, some other part of the world has got the same thoughts or the same theories about this storyline or this character, and again, that's that back then, way back in the day before comic cons and comic shops were, were such a big part of our everyday life forums in the back of a comic would be the way that we communicate with each other and we learn more about our characters and, and the villains that we've grown to love and hate so uh, geeking out has come a, a very long way over the years and turned into to a business for some and, and a way of life for others and that's um I'm, I'm i'm happy that that journey for geekiness is continuing to evolve whether it be this you know, I can remember playing video games and computer games back in the day on my Amstrad CPC 64 or my Amiga 500. And um, I can remember getting a secondhand Amiga for Christmas one year that my mum got off a family friend. And it all came with, like, back in the day, it was rather easier to copy games than it is today if you had floppy disks. And my mum, bless her, she just got a box of floppy disk games that did have names on them and some had sort of a, a brief description, but there were over 500 games with this kit. And she got a little, an old, like, almost like a tax book. So it was a long, thin book. And she got little post-it notes and sticky labels and classic floppy disk boxes. And she went through the whole list. 
and named each one and named, put the sticker on, and then there was a name in the book. So even then, sort of her organisation skills were way better than mine. <laughs> and, but I had this whole world of video games in front of me that I, I could play and get lost in. I don't think I still ever played all of them because there were ones there that I preferred more than others. You know, like The Secret of Monkey Island or there were some classic like Dizzy and the Yoke Folk games. Real, like, compared to the games that one plays now, very different, but it was still that escapism, whether it be escapism into a book or a video game, or um, I can remember in, in that list of games, I'm, I'm very sure that my sweet grey old Kent did not know what happened in the world of Leisure Sweet Larry. Um, it was a very raunchy game, and I was like, what's Leisure Sweet Larry? Sounds like a like a business tycoon kind of game. Let's let's play this one. Whoa, okay, this was very different. And but again, if you want to know about that, Google it in your own time, not on a work computer. Top tip there from Luke Bug, the Geek of Steel. <laughs> but again, that was that aspect of of geeking out over something. All these video games and, and computer games in this different world. Um, and that is what I can still appreciate now. If I can imagine, you know, I can remember when I, when I got a PlayStation for the first time and played Wipeout 2097 and was obsessed with not only the music, but just being stuck in this Tron-like world of video games. And now in today, I did play it recently. Still a fantastic game. I'm still dreadful at it. But we've got the world of Twitch now where people watch people play video games along with lots of other stuff. But if I were to go back in time and, and think of that even as an as a idea, you think that's just the world is a wonderful place right now for people that enjoy this escapism, whether it playing a computer game, whether it being lost in this virtual reality. You know, I, I think I, I've read... Ready Player One quite a few times and thought that world was merely just going to be a fantasy. We're, you know, in this last year of this, this dreadful pandemic, we've found ways to escape, whether it be with a, a Zoom call or playing a, you know, a, a trivia quiz or playing a video game with other people in different countries around the world. I mean, I feel like we're getting close to Ready Player One being more a reality than, than the fictional world, that's for sure. But it's, again, it's that aspect of geeking out and falling in love with your passions and, and embracing new things. And I've, I've tried Twitch. I mean, it's difficult for me because there's so much stuff going on at once. If I were to do a Twitch stream, I need about five people telling me what to do and what not to do. I feel that some people have found my... um inability to play a video game has been more entertaining than me being able to play it but there are some big dc games coming out over the next few years whether it be um the suicide squad game or the new batman games i'm going to play them and more importantly i'm going to fail at them but what is paramount again going back to it is the fact that i'm going to enjoy playing them and if people get enjoyment out of me um really having like 
head scratched moments and trying to figure out the most basic of puzzles in a child's Lego video game, then they, they're more than welcome to watch. They don't often help me. They would give me clues, but they would help me out with a video game. Then I, I am all for people embracing their passions and their what they geek out over. Well, you mentioned earlier, you sort of alluded to the fact that you have things that people aren't as aware about. As you say, you have the Geek of Steel and you have Luke. Putting the Geek of Steel sort of slightly to the side, what what more does does Luke geek out about? There's, I, I find that I've got quite an addictive personality. That if I get involved in something, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep at it. I'm gonna find out more about it and then put that in a cupboard for a while and then forget about it and then maybe come back to it in a year's time or so. Um, as I said, I've always loved movies. <clears throat> I love music. I love all types of music. My iTunes account um, has got multiple, multiple. It's the most bizarre looking jukebox that you would ever see. So I think I've never been really obsessed with say one band or, or one artist. It's more of like, oh, I like that song because I, I've heard it in that movie or I like that band because I've heard it in a TV show and I wanted to know more. At one point I was going back to Smallville because the musical choices in that were fantastic. I had, I think every song that featured in that show, but I, I love getting lost in something, whether it be a walk. I, I, I like to get away from technology every now and again and just go for a walk and switch off and I can be stuck I'm on the south coast of England, so there's lots of hills near me and there's lots of um, coastal areas as well. So I can just go out and, and watch the sea for an hour and get sort of um, lost in chaos theory. Like If I was in a boat right now that had an unlimited amount of fuel, if I went straight ahead, where would I end up? And it's things like that. And then I would get obsessed with space. So I was given a telescope at a very young age and that made me very fascinated with the stars and the planets. And as a child, this combination of both comics and sci-fi fascination, I would want to know more about extraterrestrials. From that, I would want to learn about the mysteries that are in on Earth. I want to know about sort of um, the origins of freak shows. So, so again, as a child, again, this sort of um, interesting imagination of mine and, and this hunger for information I wanted to get to the bottom of things. And that is a that is a big part of, of the geek of steel. Um, I don't I don't think it's the fact that I I don't like secrets, it's the fact that I want to know as much information as possible. And that's when my love for documentaries came about and my, my love for journalism and following and the career of Louis Theroux. Lovely with through. I was. I had a. I, I did a media course in college, and I loved his journalistic attitude, the way that he could get to the bottom of a situation and get in very sticky situations, but also be this charming, lovable, very nerdy geek. You know, he's, he's very obviously British, which was another thing that I found that if you you are in a situation where you're talking to somebody with a different accent. The, uh, your accent can open more doors than close them. 
So I, I certainly use that in my advantage whenever I can. But I I do like still not knowing secrets about the world, but giving myself more information by looking for it. So things, anything to do with cults or sometimes conspiracy theories or secret organizations, it's another sort of world that I can dip into and, and, and stick my toe in and learn about something else that sometimes sounds like sci-fi, but actually isn't. So yeah, conspiracy theories have always been something jovial to get myself into. I'm, please, I'm not a flat earther before I put that out there. That is something that just baffles me, but it's more the conspiracy theories that are out there like that are fun to look into, like the dark side of the moon. There's stuff going on at Area 51. There's aliens, there's UFOs, there's all this mad stuff that we can get ourselves into. And even something as crazy as the Bigfoot theory. I, I love that as, as a concept. And the fact that there are people who are so heavily involved in discovering the truth of the Sasquatch. Um, even Michael, Michael Rosenbaum, my favourite Lex Luthor from Smallville, he is a big fan of Bigfoot. <laughs> it's, it's, again, if one day I had the chance to interview him, we've got common ground. We could both talk about Bigfoot together. And again, that's another aspect of, of geeking out. But uh, there's lots of passions that I, I enjoy. And some of it, yes, as you said, it's, it's a good question. It's some of the things that I don't necessarily share online. Some things, you know, I, I know where to draw the line. And I don't want to keep those things to myself. But then I think, well, if I enjoy talking about it, then I should enjoy sharing it and finding like-minded people on the internet that want to talk more about it. The internet can be the world's biggest forum, the world's biggest letter page, like we used to get in the back of the comics. You will find friends out there, no matter where they are, that know more about a subject than you do. And if you are willing to embrace that and ask more questions and be hungry for knowledge and not gatekeep, that's one of those things that have come out in the last few years, I've had my run-ins with people that say, oh, you shouldn't like Superman because you like this. And you shouldn't like this film because you like this and you shouldn't like it. I don't understand that at all. And um, that's something that I'm totally against. If you're passionate about something, don't hide it. And that's, you know, there are some things that I won't probably won't share online because I've not really got the need to share it. But it could be anything. I'm, I'm, for one, I'm a massive foodie. So I love food. I love trying new food. I, I love the idea of food carts in America. Um, I mentioned before that I'm not the best of sleepers. So YouTube for me is just this wonderful playground of all these different videos that can make you fall asleep. And recently I've been watching um, these magnificent Korean videos that have got just millions of views. Now it's not um, mukbang or... or it's, where you watch people eat food i can't do that because i really don't like the sound of people slurping on noodles at two o'clock in the morning but there are videos of people creating food so there's no voices there's no there's no sort of stimulation you just watch people make lots of food 
normally for restaurants. So there's one where I was watching, they were making sushi. I was asleep within five minutes. It's fantastic. Woke up though with an incredible need for sushi. <laughs> but it's, everyone's passionate about something. And yes, as I said, I've got lots of passions inside me. Um, something that I've not shared. Um, I've got an incredible fascination with Las Vegas. Never been. Would love to go. I'm not a huge gambler. I got married in Vegas. Look, see, and that's, yeah. was it by an Elvis? <sighs> sort of. Sort of, okay. It, let's let's dive into this. I'm, I'm, you've got me now, see? We're talking passions. So we got, we got married in the Excalibur Hotel, the castle, well in the done. chapel. Well done. Completely normal everything. It was, you know, we didn't have an Elvis, as it were. We didn't have <laughs> any of that. But his name was Elvis Martinez. Oh, See, there's a story there, isn't it? That's what you've got to right. think. There's a story there. Yeah. Wow. But that's so it. We accidentally got married by Elvis. That's it. But you've got a story out of it. Life is all about stories. I've I've worked in customer service now for longer than I care to admit, and I've I think that's partly why I love doing the podcast and interviewing people so much is that everybody has got at least one story in them that they love to talk about. And they've got a pattern. They've got their own rhythm to telling that story. Like they're a stand-up comic. That's another thing. I love stand-up comedy. Since a very young age of, of listening to jokes by Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and, and laughing my socks off to stand-up videos that I was really not allowed to watch. And everyone's got that funny story that's that's you know it's got a punchline whether it be you accidentally got married by elvis or something there was a calamity involved everybody's got stories inside them that they love to share and pass on it's the equivalent i feel of a of a caveman painting pictures on his cave always thinking one of these days someone's going to see my painting of a caveman and, and understand that i'm telling them a story about the time that i was chased away by a mammoth Obviously, you know, that's, there's, there's hysterical discrepancies in that statement, but it's the reason now I feel that when people are wallpapering their bedrooms, before they wallpaper it, they would draw a picture underneath it and put that up there as their own special time capsule. We want our adventures and our stories to go on. It's the part of us, you know, that greedy aspect that we want to be remembered. We want our stories to be remembered. We want that little moment in our life when we, we we get nostalgic about an event and you know we want to keep on having that story told for years to come whether it be by us or our children or members of our family that were are remembering us so yeah that's again passions come flying through and again if i hadn't mentioned the fact that i'm obsessed with las vegas the mafia and everything about organized crime <laughs> We wouldn't have discovered that you got married by an, uh, an extended member of the Elvis Presley family. And that's it. It's, again, it's more secrets. I know there's a lot of secrets in Las Vegas, and you can do um, many tours about the, uh, the underbelly that was that. And I, and I think that obsession came from my grandfather because he was a huge fan of Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, just the music, nothing else. And then 
I can remember one of the, I would call it a real book. Um, it was one of Frank Sinatra's many autobiographies. And that man had just one of the most fantastic lives. Growing up from a very young age in a very poor part of the world with a, with a mother that was very strict and very protective. And I can remember reading that book and not putting it down for weeks because I would read it and then read it again. And um, I think one of the first lines in the book was that um, one of the insults that his mum used to say to people was, you're a son of a bitch bastard. And like at, a, at the time, I was like, I've never heard that cuss phrase before. That's amazing. Again, there is so much out there in the world to be enjoyed by, to be educated by, to get yourself lost in, that I'm rarely bored. There's always something for me to be doing. Um, I don't like silence. That's why sometimes if I am walking, if I'm going to go out walking, it's going to be somewhere noisy, somewhere where there's either the crashing of waves or the wind blowing through trees. Now, I'm not sure, I'm sure if I did have some therapy, they would read into that, that I'm probably not comfortable with the sound of my own voice. Yet here I am on a podcast talking to you. You've asked me about four questions and I've not bloody stopped talking. Let's look into that some more, shall we? I mean, if you ever want to have a podcast with Kelsey Grammer or Frasier, we could we can dive deeper into that. But that's something that I'm not ready to tackle just yet. It's, it's, that's not the British thing to do, Paul. But yeah, it's it's finding things to keep me busy, to keep my overactive imagination, my thoughts under control. Like at the moment, I, I started this at the, the beginning of um, 2000 and, well, yes, this year. Um, there's, a, there's a saying that if you make 1,000 paper cranes, you get a wish. So I started making paper cranes at the beginning of the year. I think I'm about at about 800. So I'm guessing there. I, I do it whenever I've got a, if I'm waiting for a podcast to happen, or if I'm waiting for a video to export, again, I can't keep still. And uh, what was funny about that was I just bought the cheapest box of origami paper that I could get off Amazon. And it arrived and the paper wasn't the right size. It was far too small. And um, I had to learn not only how to make an origami crane, I had to learn how to make an origami crane with my sausage fingers. Now, if I'd got a bigger piece of paper, it would have been easier. But I thought, no, there is a lesson within this. If I can make one, I can make 10. If I can make 10, I can make 100. And yeah, I've not got many to go. And um, my metaphorical wish will be granted when I get to 1,000 birds. So. I'm not far away from that one. But yes, many passions, many secret sides to the geek of still a very long answer to your very simple question, Paul. <laughs> so that makes me think, because you do you do like to keep active. You do, like you say yourself, you, you don't like the silence of things. So it's curious to me that the passion that has kind of gone to the top one could argue is one that doesn't fulfill that superman and comics yes you've got the movies you can entertain yourself that way but it's not an active interest why do you think it is that that's sort of taken over from the other things i mean it's the one that 
it's, it's a fantastic question, by the way. This could be the moment where the geek of steel retires, Paul, where I find something that I'm more passionate about and I'll just, I will just disappear from the internet. My digital footprint will be erased and I will just go like a whisper in the night. Fantastic. Everyone will come hunting after me. That's it. Pitchforks at a blaze. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, when the, the obsession with Superman started, obviously it became a talking point to some and an interesting aspect of my life. Maybe before I found Superman, I was looking for myself in a way. I, I loved, always loved the aspect of Superman that he's got an alter ego. And yes, again, if we were to get a therapist involved, I think that'd be a great way to get some free therapy is to get like a therapist on a podcast. Pen and paper at the ready. I'm going to write that down for a future episode of the podcast of Steel, available at thegeekofsteel.com. That's how you plug. Um, it's it's that aspect of being somebody else, but also being yourself at the same time. So, for me, once I was, I knew that Superman was a thing. It wasn't something that was just thrust upon me at a young age. I decided to become a Superman fan. Um, I didn't want to be a Superman fan, as it were. I'm still not declaring that fact. There are still many pieces of information out there that I don't know. There are many comics that I haven't read, so I would never self-title myself as a Superman expert because I'm nowhere near that. But I love the fact that when people would go out or they were getting me a souvenir from their holiday, if it was Superman, they would think, Oh, Luke likes Superman. Let's get him that. I was like, ah, okay. So when people think of Superman, they think of me. Interesting. Now, I don't have the physique of Superman. Uh, Probably the only thing that is the same is that we both wear glasses. So that's a fun little link, is that me and Superman both wear glasses. So maybe they'll think of me as more of a Clark Kent than a Superman. And then it became stuck. Birthday presents were easier for people because they would get me Superman things. Christmases would be easier. Whenever Superman was playing on TV, I wouldn't need to buy a TV guide because I would get a lot of text messages saying, ITV1's playing Superman. Have you watched it before? (laughs) Have you seen this one? Have you heard this rumour? Have you read this book? And it's a conversation starter. You know, it's it's an aspect of my life that I didn't know I was creating. It's the Geek of Steel came about by chance, as we mentioned before about that alter ego of the Geek of Steel becoming because LS Bug on Instagram wasn't seen. So maybe in a way, Luke Bug wasn't being seen. But with the introduction of Superman and this passion for Superman and Clark Kent, maybe my personality would come through a bit more. I was always a little bit shy growing up, especially in school. Um, I wasn't big on sport. I wasn't very academic. So I wasn't musical either. I come from a family of musicians. Now I can play the drums. That's fine with me. I've got a little bit of rhythm. But the thought of playing a guitar or playing a piano or playing anything that involves sausage fingers 
it's not for me. But put two sticks in my hand, I can follow a rhythm. I can I can get lost in that thought again. Another pastime that isn't very quiet to drown out my thoughts. Let's dive into that another time, Paul. <laughs> but being the Superman fan helped me come out of my shell. And finding that alter ego of the Geek of Steel, for a long time, I didn't associate myself. I didn't want to be on camera. I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I preferred being behind it. And this was before Instagram had vid had video. So it was all photographs. It was all just very two-dimensional. There was no depth to my posts, but also there was no depth to my character. But with the evolution of social media and the internet, along came the evolution of Luke Bug. I was able to be more creative. I was able to try more things. I was doing videos. I was writing articles. I was being academic in a world where I never thought I would be academic. I've always been okay at customer service because obviously I'm still in customer service. So let's, you know, make my own inner justice league by bringing all these elements of my passions out and joining them together to create this monster that has in a way taken over my life, the geek of steel. Again, an alias, a personality, somebody that is different then Luke Bug. And I don't think now that we, the two are slowly blending together. Um, um, I never thought in a million years that I would get recognized as, as Luke Bug, the Geek of Steel. But now, obviously, my name and my face is on many things, including awful plug. I've got myself on a hoodie because many years ago, somebody created me as this cute little emoji. And then they gave me permission to put that on stickers and badges and I feel that I'm proud of, of where I've come as a person and a brand um, I, I, I feel proud of my journey so it's it's a good way for me to acknowledge my successes and the things that I've achieved for myself as Luke Bug and as the Geek of Steel and slowly the two are becoming one and I, I'm proud of myself now than I have ever been before because I'm always trying to better myself as a blogger, as a journalist, as a podcast host. I, I like a challenge and I never thought I would be in a situation where I could challenge myself to do new things, to, to speak with Kevin Smith, to speak with Zachary Levi and to one day hopefully speak with Mr. Henry Cavill. That is obviously on my bucket list of things to do. I've never had that situation, but I feel on the path that I'm headed, I, I've got more of a possibility to speak with him than I did, say, two years ago or even one year ago. So um, never say never. And uh, I, I believe in my progress and my process of doing things. And if I didn't think it was a possibility, I would never put it out there in, into the internet because whatever you say on the internet stays there forever. <laughs> I've, I, I meet different people every single day of the week and some of them understand what I do. Some of them want to learn more, which is great because I, I love that. Some people just simply don't understand it. And that is the old school, I think, narrow-mindedness, narrow 
narrow-mindedness when it comes to being a geek, when it comes to being a nerd, because there is a huge difference between the two things. You can, you can be a nerd and know every single thing about a rocket ship, and you can be a geek and you can love every single Superman suit or Batman weapon or Spider-Man villain. There now is a combination of the two where we have just access to all this information. So I think sometimes when I do tell people what I do, and I don't often do it when I'm at work or if I'm in a public place, um, of all places, last weekend, uh, sorry, last week, I um, attended uh, the funeral of my auntie. Uh, obviously a very sombre situation. Um, all in black, it's a funeral. It's what you do. It's the British way. But I had a Superman tie pin on. And I had some wonderful conversations with people that I've not seen for quite a long time, talking about what I've been getting up to with work and real life and the life away from computer screens. And they, they, they knew about my persona, the Geek of Steel. But we had a more interesting time talking about, like we're talking right now, about how other people see you as being this online person. They think, oh, he just likes comics or he's immature or he's stuck in this mindset of being a child and he can't have a grown-up life in a way. And I've, I've had that a lot and I've thought about it and think, well, it's true. Grown-ups suck. <laughs> Grown-ups and responsibilities are not fun. Yes, I know how to pay bills. Yes, I know how to change a plug. Yes, I know how to do things that aren't based around fiction and superheroes. But if I've got an option to have a conversation about the many different types of kryptonite or have a conversation about heavy politics... I'm spending my time the, the, the way I want to spend it by talking about the things that make me happy. Now, I never really understood sport. I've never really enjoyed sport. But if we have a conversation about Quidditch, you've got me. There's, there's different levels of where we can associate ourselves by enjoying something. And if you're passionate about politics, current affairs, I mean, we have to be. I'm not saying that I'm ignorant and don't want to know what's going on with the world. I do. Um, and sometimes that's why I enjoy escapism so much. Because I think over the last year, the alert sound that went off every time there was a BBC news flash, it was giving me severe levels of anxiety. So much so that I had to delete the app. Now I'm still getting news updates. I'm still choosing to get my news from reliable sources. But when it comes to sitting down with somebody and saying, oh, how's your day? Going through the, the normal small talk of a situation, I'm much rather going to want to sit down and spend my time talking or listening. It can happen sometimes. <laughs> listening to the items that are making me enjoy life. Talking about food, talking about travel, talking about space, talking about Bigfoot. Talking about Superman and movies and TV shows, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to want to talk about that because that is what makes my inner self and the Geek of Steel happy. It's talking about the things where I can escape the real world and talk about the heroes and the villains and the stories that bring me joy. And sometimes that, if you don't know about what I get up to online, 
if you're a person in the real world, you're not going to understand that straight away. But after a while, if I you allow me to explain why these things make me happy, you can understand why I do it and why I won't stop. And um, again, it's something that I've kept hidden within within me for many years. For many people at work at different jobs, they didn't know about my passions about Superman. I've been in situations where I've always worn a uniform, um, which is great because I feel that's another alias, as it were. You go into work and you become somebody else. If it wasn't for the name badge, they wouldn't know. Whereas now I wear a name badge to work, but also that name badge has got a Geek of Steel pin on it because I'm always repping the brand. So now I'm not, I've never been ashamed of my passions or my love for Superman and fictitious characters. But now I'm more than happy to talk about it, to be open-minded, to share what I love. And if you don't like what I love, that's on you. That's not on me. So, and that is what I'm so happy about, about the world of pop culture, about the world of geeks and nerds and fan and fan girls and fan boys. We love stuff and we're not ashamed of it. It could be a comic, it could be a TV show, it could be a fictitious world, it could be a board game, it could be a band, it could be anything whether it be K-pop or anime or people going back and playing old video games or making their own video games. We are in a world now where we need to find happiness. We need to search for it and find something that we can cling on to that releases that serotonin, that gives us these moments where we can forget about the real world and get lost in the moment of happiness. And if we can't find happiness, then I'm not going to get deep and philosophical about the meaning of life. But if we're not smiling, if we're not enjoying our time on this planet, then, then what is the point? The Podcast of Still is available on all good podcast catchers. And you can find video versions on YouTube under The Geek of Steel. You can find The Geek of Steel on all social media platforms and on the website, thegeekofsteel.com. Dummy production for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and Fantastic Universes by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.